Psalm 27. It's printed in the bulletin for you also. On the next page. And um, we're going to be talking about fear this morning. We might change the title of the sermon for the website. Maybe that doesn't matter to you at all. But uh, something that uh, is more obviously about fear and how God addresses our fear. Fear is a massive problem for all of us. And uh, it's something well addressed by this psalm. Maybe you're not aware of how massive a problem fear is in your own life. But fear really does dictate uh, very often how we live, especially how we conduct ourselves in relationship to other people, engaging with other people. It's uh, fear-driven a lot of the times, maybe even most of the time, maybe even all the time. The scriptures are constantly addressing our fears. I've mentioned before that the command, do not be afraid, is by far the most frequent command found in the scriptures, uh, found over 300 times in the scriptures, do not be afraid. That's fantastically significant. It really is a good statistic. It's, it's good uh, for us to know this, that when God speaks to us in his word, one of the things that he says most loudly, most often, most clearly is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He knows we have a problem with it. He isn't just pointing out what a big problem with fear that we all have. He's not just pointing it out. He's addressing our fears. He's allaying our fears. He's giving us an alternative to fear. What does that say about God? That when he communicates to us, when he puts his book in our hands, the thing you see most often repeated, that command over 300 times, do not be afraid. What does that say about God? What kind of God cares for his people like this? I mean, to me, it's, it's like you know, a, a child having nightmares uh, and is afraid of the dark, and every night her daddy comes in, turns on the nightlight, wakes her from her bad dream, and tells her, don't be afraid, I'm here. That's a good father. Earthly parents like me might get frustrated at some point after 100 times, maybe 200 times, maybe 300 times visits in the night. Just let the child cry herself to sleep without consolation. That'll teach her how to deal with her fears. Um, Not the Heavenly Father. He always comes to us. He always comes to us saying, don't be afraid, I'm here. So we learn from Psalm 27 that God himself is our light and our salvation and ultimately our courage. With him, we can be free from the fears that so often dominate our lives. So let's get to know him better. Let's, uh, let's pray, then we'll consider Psalm 27. <clears throat> Father, there are a lot of aspects of our relationship with you that have gone unexplored by us um, for whatever reason. We pray that you teach us uh, this morning as we hear your word, as we think about it, as we just sit with it for a while, your Holy Spirit doing his work in us, that you would teach us about yourself and the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways that address the fears that we have, those subtle, uh, nagging, whole life driving fears that we have. We pray that you'd help us as we consider your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Several times, David, the psalmist, the one who sings this psalm, sings against fear. Let's just say it that way. That's what this psalm is. It's a a song against fear. Whom shall I fear? Verse 1. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 3. My heart shall not fear. I will be confident. Verse 14. Be strong and let your heart take courage. All throughout. So it's a specific kind of fear that's being addressed in this psalm. It's not, uh, it's not just a generic fear, fear in general, a nebulous sense of fear all the time. And it's not uh, just other kinds of specific fears, not like arachnophobia, fear of spiders, or acrophobia, fear of high, heights. Um, we could say it's called anthropophobia. Uh, clinically, that's uh, the diagnosis of fear of men. That's what the Bible calls it, fear of men. That's what this is about. One of the main things that drives all our interactions with other people is fear. Fear of them. Fear of people. Fear of people in general. Fear that they might make our lives unpleasant somehow. Fear that they might ruin what is dear to us. Fear that they might cause us pain. That's the fear being addressed in Psalm 27. And it boils down really to a fear that uh, ultimately we can't get what we want in these interactions. We can't get what we want in this life, in this relationship as I engage with this person. I can't get what I want. That's the fear. That I can't get what what I want from this relationship. It's maybe even fundamental things like I can't get love. I can't get acceptance. I can't get friendship. So out of this kind of fear, we interact with people. And we try to bring about what we want. That's 
how we engage in relationships all the time, just trying to bring about what we want, trying to avoid the things that we fear in these relationships, avoid the things we don't want. We're afraid of their power to wreck it, to wreck me, to wreck things, to wreck my life. It's pretty basic life goals, right? I mean, that's how we work. We engage with people, we relate to them based on fear. A few years ago, I was able to take a 10-week sabbatical. Uh, Thank you again for letting me do that. One of the things that I was able to reflect on during that time was just how much fear drives my daily interactions with people. With me, it's, uh, you know, it's people-pleasing and it's conflict avoidance. It's in my conversations, it's in my planning, it's in my imagination. I base what I say and how I say it, how I come across, on what I think you would like to hear in order to avoid conflict. So there's no stress in our relationship. When I see someone calling on the phone, I'll instantly assess the threat level and maybe just not pick up the phone right now. Maybe wait until I'm a bit more courageous later and call them back. That'll be okay. When I need to have a hard conversation with somebody, which just kind of goes with the job, I just can't avoid it. I've got to have the conversation. I'll just stress out. I've done it for years. It's everywhere in my life. The fear of men is everywhere in all of our lives, whether we're aware of it or not. We're afraid of criticism. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of shame and uh, open public humiliation. We're afraid of heartbreak in those relationships that are really important to us. <clears throat> we're afraid of legal attacks. We're afraid of political opposition. We're afraid of physical assaults. These are real fears that we have of other people. This fear can present itself like a, <clears throat> like a mild case of peer pressure. Maybe you're in school. Maybe it's not so mild um, for you kids in school. Peer, peer pressure might be what it, our fear looks like. People-pleasing in general or maybe a, a more serious codependency where I'll just do whatever it takes to keep you happy because of a desperate need for approval or Maybe the worst, I don't know, uh, crippling anxiety or paralyzing terror. Fear of other people. This fear can, uh, a fearful person can appear calm, cool, and collected. They're managing their fear pretty well. Or a fearful person can be totally freaking out or withdrawn. Or a fearful person can be explosively angry, something that doesn't look at all like fear. And when you're worried about what others think of you, when you're always living trying to impress other people, trying to manage your reputation in their sight, when you stress out thinking about how certain conversations will go, conversations you've got to have, when you have a fight-or-flight reaction, any of those reactions, either you're getting really angry at people or you're distancing yourself from them in order to avoid the conflict, that's all fear. That's all fear, all of it. You're relating to people in fear-driven ways. So, do you think you'd be afraid, for example, if the, the President of the United States ordered a manhunt 
and the Marines came after you and chased you all over the country? Do you think you might be afraid? It might be obvious. Whatever basic life goals you had just went down the drain. <clears throat> Matters are entirely out of hand. You have no control. There's no way you're getting what you want out of this interaction. It's completely unavoidable, and it's unmanageable. No version of the fight-or-flight reaction will help anything. You have to engage with these people, and they will ruin your life. It's about the worst situation someone with the fear of men can imagine, and it's a situation that the author of this psalm, David, he knew all too well. King Saul had mustered the troops of Israel, the whole nation of Israel, to hunt David down and kill him. David had done nothing wrong. That didn't matter. They chased him all over the country. That's the big worst-case nuclear nightmare fear of men scenario, right? The scenario doesn't get any worse. And David says, even then I won't be afraid. It's remarkable. He says in verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Not confident to slay all of his enemies or get away from them. That's not the kind of confidence that he's talking about. David can't control Saul's bad opinion of him. David can't change Saul's unreasonable hatred of him. And David can't stop an army chasing him all over the country. But he doesn't have to be afraid of those things. You can't control people's opinions of you. You can't change the fact that people might dislike you. You can't stop people from doing bad things to you, but you don't have to be afraid of those things. You don't have to flip out in anger or be conflict avoidant, right? Have those fight or flight kind of reactions to a fearful situation. You don't have to stress out even about the hardest conversations that you're walking into. You can be free from living to impress other people. You can be free from the fear of men, whatever form that may take. You can be free of it. Peer pressure, people-pleasing, codependency, crippling anxiety, any of it. You can be free of it. People might very well criticize you or reject you, shame you, put you up to open public humiliation. People might break your heart. People might threaten your life. It might be worst-case nuclear nightmare scenario bad for you. It might be. But you don't have to relate to others in fear-driven ways. People might attack you. People might actually say things or do things that hurt you. But you don't have to fear them. You don't have to be afraid of anybody, not ever. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being free from the fear of men so utterly free? How? How is that possible? How can I be free from the fear of men? I mean, the psalm starts there. The first verse. 
the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the answer to your fear of men. The Lord himself is your light. He's your salvation. He's your stronghold. He's your security. He's the source of all your strength and courage. He himself, not some abstract idea of strength, not just some way of thinking, not some illusion of security that you can erect around your life, not some boost of self-esteem, that's not going to help, not some principle of better living that leads to good karma. The, The Lord himself, the Lord himself is the answer to your fear of men. You don't become free of the fear of men by becoming the ultimate supreme manager of other people so that they never are able to harm you, whether in their thoughts, their affections, which you imagine that they have, their words or their actions. You become free from the fear of people, even people who actually can hurt you. You become free from the fear of them by having an appetite for the Lord, by seeking the Lord, by knowing the Lord and trusting the Lord and waiting for the Lord, all language in our psalm. One thing, verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing. I want one thing. That is a change to your basic life goals. All the life goals. Just one thing now. As a fear-driven person, you interact with others to, to meet your basic life goals, to get what I want. But what if the one thing you wanted was the Lord who has already given himself to you in a way that no one can threaten, ever, nobody. Jesus put it this way, which Joe read in our gospel reading from Matthew 6. Do not be anxious. Don't be afraid. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The one thing. Paul put it this way in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be afraid. But in everything, by prayer, it's your relationship with God. It's that one thing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So if the greatest longing of your heart, that one thing, if the greatest desire of your life is to be with God, is to live with God, to seek God and know God, the good news that answers every single fear that we have about other people and the way to relate to other people, the good news is you have him. You have him, period. In Jesus Christ, you have God. And no interaction with anyone else ever will be a threat to that. In Jesus Christ, the Lord is your light. He called himself the light of the world. 
He's your salvation. He's your stronghold. He's your security. He's your courage. In Jesus Christ, in Him, you may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple, meditate in His temple, consider Him in a place where He dwells with His people. There's no question about it. It's the true gospel. You have the one who's the greatest longing of your heart. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. God will not hide his face from you. He is the one who told you to seek his face in the first place. So when you seek him in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, you find him. And that means no matter what others may think about you, no matter how they feel about you, no matter what they say about you or to you, no matter what they do, you don't have to fear them because they can't touch what's most important to you. They can't even come close to touching what's most important to you. You don't need their approval. You don't need their appreciation. You don't need them to respond well to you. You don't need them to praise you. You don't need their high estimation of you. Because the Lord is your light and your salvation, because you dwell in his house, because you see his beauty, because you know that he loves you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Even if the people in your life who are supposed to love you most, even if they turn away from you, even if they betray you, you have an eternal, unshakable love and security in Jesus Christ. Verse 10, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Reminds me of Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. That's what God says. If your own parents were to forsake you, make no mistake, it would hurt. And we would weep together over that. If your spouse is unfaithful to you or if your friends turn against you, it would hurt. Of course it would hurt. It hurts. It's not the way it's supposed to be. People can hurt you. That's a reality that we have to live with in a broken world. But if the Lord is your light and your salvation, you don't have to fear them. You don't have to fear them. Even if others hurt you to the point of death, that's the worst kind of hurt. Even if they kill you, you don't have to be afraid of that because they still haven't taken away that one thing. Even if they kill you, they still haven't taken away that one thing. In fact, they've just handed it to you on a silver platter because death is your entrance into glory where you will see God face to face and you'll gaze upon his beauty forever. Resurrection. It's verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, in the new heavens and the new earth. 
That's the ultimate truth of your life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he is raised from the dead bodily. You will be raised from the dead bodily to life with God, life everlasting, and no interaction with anyone else ever could threaten that. Let them do their worst. It amounts to facilitating your encounter with God. And isn't that what you really wanted most after all? Verse 2. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, that just doesn't sound pleasant, but when they do that, my adversaries and foes, it is they, that's emphatic in the Hebrew, it is they who stumble and fall. So, real quick side note, we're not talking about the sense of being attacked, we can feel like we're being attacked like when friends tell us hard truths that we didn't want to hear. That's not this. That's not evildoers assailing me to eat up my flesh. Proverbs 27 says, uh, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It can feel like our friends are against us, but really that's just tough love. But that's not what this is about, just so you know. Don't, don't confuse it. Right? Uh, but when evildoers attack me, I don't stumble and fall. They stumble and fall. When they attack me, it's their problem. It's a problem with them. It's a problem with their hearts. It's a problem ultimately of their relationship with God. I can't control their problem. It's their problem. I can't control it. I can't manage it. I can't fix their problem. I don't have to stress out about what is ultimately their problem, which was never under my control anyway. I don't have to stress out about that. Even though it affects me, even though it hurts me, I don't have to relate to them in fear-driven ways to manage them. They stumble and fall because ultimately they are rebelling against God. If they're evil, evil doers assailing me to eat up my flesh, they're stumbling and falling because of their broken relationship with God. That's the main problem with what they're doing when they attack you. That's the main problem. Their broken relationship with God is the main thing wrong in their lives. Just like your broken relationship with God is the main thing wrong in your life. And you didn't fix that problem for yourself. You were at God's mercy. And God was merciful. God has fixed the problem of your broken relationship. God sent his son to live and die and rise again for you, to be with you. The Lord is your light and your salvation. That's all a gift of grace. You didn't fix the problem of your broken relationship to God, and you can't fix that problem for people who attack you, people who hurt you. You can't fix that problem. God will sort out his relationship with them. God will fix it one way or the other. You... You just get to be free of the fear of them. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Still right there in the middle of all this. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Praise the Lord. So what's the alternative then? The alternative to relating to people in fear-driven ways 
Because I don't mean that you become a gruff, hardened old cuss who just doesn't give a lick what people think of him. That's not what I mean. Hopefully that's obvious. But verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Teach me your way, O Lord. What is the Lord's way? What is the way of Jesus Christ? What is that way? Well, it's not to fear, but to love. Even people like us who were his enemies. The way of the Lord, in his own words, is uh, in Matthew 5, he says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's an alternative to fear. Loving them. Luke 6, Jesus says, To do good to those who hate you. It's not just that you imagine that they hate you. They really hate you. They've made it known. You could do good to them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you, abuse you. And he hasn't just instructed us to do that. He's empowered us to follow in his way. 2 Timothy chapter 1. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Because you have the spirit of the Lord, you can walk in the Lord's ways. Instead of engaging with others in fearful, self-protective ways, you can engage with them for their good. You can't bring about good in their lives. You can't manage and control and fix them. But you can engage with them for their good. You can bless them instead of curse them. You can invest yourself in them, even sacrificially, to pursue what's best for them in Christ-like love. You lay down your life for your enemies. You can't love them unless you're free from the fear of them. So Hebrews 13, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can others do to me? What can they do, even at their worst? They can hand me the one thing I ever wanted. The one thing. I ever wanted, they can hand it to me on a silver platter. They can facilitate my encounter with the Lord in every way, not just if they take my life and usher me into God's presence immediately. They can provide me with opportunities to seek the Lord's face in every human relationship. There's that opportunity to seek the Lord's face. They can provide me with opportunities to gaze upon his beauty, just to stare at him and meditate on him. They can provide me with opportunities to love like he loves, to follow in his ways, to learn those ways, to live in those ways by the power of his spirit, to know him, to trust him, to dwell with him and become like him. That's what people can do to me. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would turn our understanding of all our our relationships uh, upside down. That you would make these relationships not about us, because you have filled us up. And we have no need in any of our relationships to look for admiration or praise or love or acceptance, to look for good things from people. We don't want evil things from people, from our relationships, but those things happen. We pray that you would help us not to be afraid of those things, 
Because there's one thing that we need, one thing that we want, one thing that we pursue, one thing that we long for, that we'll seek after, that we've asked you for, and that you have already granted in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. That one thing, uh, our relationship with you that will last forever, that nobody can take away from us. We pray that you would help us to live in that relationship always and to see all of our relationships with other people as opportunities just to live in that relationship and have all these relationships changed by that one relationship. We pray that for the sake of your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.